0: Monday night, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes politics and comics. This is the show for folks who thinks Jeb Bush's uh, for president is the gem of the holograms of campaigns, a bad knockoff of two prior versions that underperformed, yet most likely will turn a profit for someone somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. I knew that okay. one was going to be a good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so tonight we're diving well deep into... Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, so tonight we're diving deep into politics and comics, uh, talking about the recent controversy over uh, Captain America, Sam Wilson, number one, uh, with issue number two coming out this Wednesday, and we haven't seen issue number two yet, but we're going to discuss the first issue. Uh, joining us tonight is Stephen Adwell, um, and I'll introduce him in a minute. But before I get to my introduction for that, uh, I just want to say, hello, Alana, how you doing?
1: Hey, I'm good. You know, I just want to say real quick, this past two weeks, there have been three DC books that that have just just really gone to the top of the charts of awesomeness in my mind. Um, these are three series that I have really enjoyed, and each one of them just put out their best issue yet that has really kind of been a culmination of everything awesome that the book has been doing up until this point. So I just want to give a shout-out again to the likes of Catwoman, Constantine, and Gotham Academy, for just really knocking my socks off in each one of those cases. Um, Guys, if you haven't been reading these books, get ready to pick them up and trade paperback because each one of them, like these these are the best superhero books that are coming out. I guess they're not really superhero books because none of those people wear capes. I take it back. (laughs) These are the best comics by the big two right now, in my opinion, actually, if I was looking at comics. Yeah, I think so. Constantine, Gotham Academy, Catwoman. Buy them right away. They're the things that I just read the second I pull up my, you know, get them out of my comic box and can't put down. And we'll re- reread immediately and just can't stop thinking about.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. Uh completely agree with you. It's like three awesome series and definitely some of the best being put out by anyone. Definitely some of the best by DC. Uh, so we got a guest, uh, someone who knows a hell of a lot about Captain America. We're discussing uh, the character, and uh, that means we need Steve back to the show to, to talk. He's a political and union activist. He got his PhD in political history from University of California, Santa Barbara, and teaches public policy at CUNYs. 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 I'm a SUNY. Hmm. CUNY. Yeah, I'm a SUNY. So. <laughs> uh, Murphy Institute for Labor Studies. He is the founder and writer for Race for the Iron Throw, which is currently running a Kickstarter, and he'll plug a hell of a lot more when I prod him and get him and say plug 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 later in the show um but you should go check that out and absolutely uh uh, chip in to uh that kickstarter but welcome back to the show um i didn't do my counting to see how many times you've been here but i know you've been here many 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 times one of the uh, the higher counts of folks so thanks for joining us especially doing so on such a short notice
2: well i'm happy to be here and i'm always ready to talk about captain america Hmm. yes
0: absolutely Um, So before we dive in, I'm going to give kind of the brief overview of what the hell happened. So uh, Marvel's currently doing their huge reboot, relaunch, revamp, whatever you want to call it. All their series are starting at number one. Um, It started about a month ago. Uh, One of the first uh, series to come out was Captain America, Sam Wilson. It continues Sam Wilson, the former Falcon, as the new Captain America um, it 's eight months since the big massive secret wars event, so all f- sorts of things are different. uh This Captain America is no longer working for shield um, he's still an avenger though, and he 's kind of off on his own. Uh, the big controversy though was him uh one saying he doesn 't really want to work with Shield uh, and then also speaking out about some politics and then he heads to the South where he meets the Sons of Serpents who are on the border uh, being racist SOBs as expected. Uh, for some reason, conservatives, especially Fox and Fred, have rallied against Captain America uh, on the side of the Sons and Serpents. Shocker that they would uh, defend racists uh, who are um, rounding up uh, undocumented uh, individuals trying to find a better life. Um, yeah, I think that kind of sums it up
2: mm-hmm. fairly
0: well. I just have to uh, say, oh, sorry. Yes, go ahead. We, if I stumbled on that, because I know every so often I speak on proper terms and all that, but yes. no,
1: that was great. I was so, that was not at all. I was just going to say ooh. that you know we've been saying on this show that comics are political, and we've been saying on the show for a long time that you know Captain America is progressive character consistently, and, and Stephen Attaway has written an excellent essay which everybody needs to go read right away about Captain America and how he was a c- creature of the New Deal. Um, and we'll want to get to that in a minute, but I just wanted to say that the fact that Fox News seems to know so little about comics makes me want to call them FAUX fanboys. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'll be here all night. We're going to challenge their nerd cred tonight. I mean, seriously, this whole thing just makes me want to challenge their nerd cred and mock them, because clearly these are people who don't know anything about comics. This is such an obvious manufacturer you know, they're, they've successfully got an attention around it. Um, yeah.
2: and, and I guess what I found fascinating about the whole kind of uh, manufacturers uh is that Marvel predicted it. Like, literally, you go to page 11 of Sam Wilson, Captain America, number one, and they have, like, just looked into the future and have, like, created headlines for their universe's Fox News. And in a kind of mind-melting display of lack of self-awareness and irony, Fox News recreated that as a kind of a wounded, how dare they say that we would be against a black Captain America because he's a liberal, we're saying that we're against him because he's a (laughs) liberal yeah exactly
0: here well so here's the interesting thing is is and this is the first thing that i started reading it so that the controversy happened and then i read the comic after so the first thing that hit me is is he really super liberal on this basically he's telling the government to go shove itself and that he doesn't want to be part of some like bloated government uh um, organization, and, and it's better to kind of form, like, a small charity business that will function by itself to solve these issues, is that actually somewhat of a conservative thing? Like, is that kind of what they trumpet a a lot?
2: two points of, of subtext here. One of them is that, um, you know, he, uh, Sam Wilson says directly, I'm no longer working for the U.S. government, but I am still working for you. And mm-hmm there's this whole sort of subtext of, like, you know, uh, online activism and, like, you know, that at the same time it can be the best thing ever because, you know, people who desperately need help can go straight to the superhero without having to get any mediation from the government. But it's also, you know, it is the hellhole that is the Internet comment thread. Um, and then hmm. the other two things is... You know, obviously, one, the issue that he addresses is, you know, if, if we compare this to the Winter Soldier, right, you know, which was all about drones and, you know, the the security state, the issue of immigration is one in which there's no real sort of spin that would allow conservatives to feel okay being on the side. And then the other thing is that there is a subtext about Black Lives Matters and given that fox has like openly stated that you know they consider black lives matters to be uh, a a hate group um i think that's why this has been perceived to be more political than perhaps it might appear um and the subtext that i'm thinking of specifically is um let me see dun, 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 dun. It's on page, maybe it's earlier, page 10. The pages aren't numbered in the version,
1: yeah. which has been driving me crazy.
2: Okay. All right. So page 10, um, where he's talking about, uh, he says, you know, he's he's talking about division in like, you know, partisan division, which is a, a running theme in, in the issue. In a very kind of like, you know, Obama, red states, blue states, mm-hmm. but but very different conclusions. It says uh, in the middle panel at the top, Uh, this is not some intellectual debate. People are dying. Our streets are burning. Inequality is soaring. It feels like things are about to break wide open. And then the panel there is obviously with signs saying, stop police violence. Um, Although, you know, I think somewhat controversially, there's also an image there of a Molotov cocktail being thrown.
1: Yes, and the people Mm -hmm. look like, just like they're charging, sort of. Like they're charging on something rather than just marching.
2: So, you know, this, and, and, you know, in that same panel, right, you know, Sam Wilson says, I have a side. I'm going to pick a side. So, you know, I think that's where the kind of the root of it is. Now, you know, I think the interesting thing here is you know, Alana, as as you've sort of uh, you know alluded to on on Twitter, the question of to what extent is this new? Um, because you know, as I've written about, as you've talked, as you've written about, you know, Steve Rogers is historically a, a political figure, one who takes a stand often against his government. That that classic line about "I represent the dream, not a government." Um, So when when Sam Wilson says, I'm no longer working for the U.S. government, but I'm still working for you, I thought, actually, ironically, that's very reminiscent of Steve Rogers. What's interesting is that the comic doesn't seem to agree. Um, It Mm -hmm. it directly contrasts Mm -hmm. Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson and says that what Steve Rogers was about was about being above partisan divide that what he did is he showed Americans what they could be if they worked hard and worked together, the, the quote. That he took a stance when he had to, but that he played his partisan cards close to the vest. Sam Wilson is not going to do that. He is going to say what side he's on. Um, and I just was sort of curious, do you think that that comparison is, is accurate?
1: I totally think you've caught something that's happening there. Um, I I do kind of I, I do feel like it's something which is in conflict with the history of the character. Um, but I think it's something which it corresponds to much of the public's perception of the character.
2: Mm. Yeah. Um I, I you know, that was kind of a similar thought. I also thought it was interesting, you know, to the extent that there might be a point there. The one thing that I think is interesting is that, you know, historically when, you know, when Steve Rogers took a very partisan stance, it was in a mode of always rejecting the Captain America identity, resigning, Mm -hmm. finding a new identity, and then challenging a false Captain America and sort of reclaiming his mantle. Here, Sam Wilson doesn't step down from the position. You know he's breaking with Shield, he's breaking with the U.S. government, but he is, you know, remaining and indeed just embarking on, you know, his career as Captain America. So, you know, I don't necessarily think that the issue accurately characterizes Steve Rogers' style, but there is something, there is a difference there.
0: Well, I think it's it's also interesting at the end. And kind of how they've been portraying Steve Rogers since he's kind of turned into this old crotchety dude. Um yeah. and that he seems to be he seems to have lost that I don't want to call it idealism, but that like almost embodiment of, you know, the American ideal or however you want to call it. Like it just seems to have been lost of the character lately. Um, and I think we see that, especially towards the end. But you know, going through all the other um, series where he's being kind of portrayed now, like on Avengers, is that he's just more of this like soldier who is about orders and getting the mission done no matter what. Yeah, which is not Captain America.
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's the interesting thing, and I think there's something symbolic of the fact that they they've made Captain America into an old man. Mm-hmm. That yeah. what, what's been yeah. lost somewhat is that moment of essentially time travel of someone who who falls asleep in 1944 and wakes up in the present day, and that that Steve Rogers, you know, as um you know as I as I've written, is not a professional soldier who's about orders above all. He is uh, you know, what at the time would be called a premature fascist. You know, he frequently, you know, not only does he sort of go above and beyond his orders, but in many cases, you know, asserts his, you know, independent judgment and his independent uh you know, authority. And, you know, that's one of the things that um you know, I thought the Russo brothers absolutely pegged correctly in Winter Soldier that you know, Joss Whedon didn't quite get a hang of in, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. honestly, either of the Avengers movies, that, you know, this is a guy who, you know, basically, you know, tried to subvert the, the, the Selective Service Act, you know, who, um, you know, got turned down by the U.S. government and refused to accept what they had to say. So I don't think that person you know, is a kind of law and order personality.
1: Yeah, yeah. His, his trying to enlist was rebellious in the first place. And, I mean, all the stories have established that the fact that he has some excellent critical judgment is part of why he's able to be Captain America. Um And I do feel like just, I mean, we've talked about, and folks should listen to it if they haven't yet, you know the Captain America movies did such a great job with his character, especially the second one. Really, mm-hmm. what a pleasure! Um, but that's the most recent Captain America in my mind. You know, I haven't been reading a Captain America, a modern Captain America comic lately, or even one in which the character is like a primary member in a team. You know, last time I read Captain America, he was in She-Hulk, um, and I liked the way She-Hulk handled the character, but like this. This new comic is the first Captain America series I've read in a while, so I'm not even sure where he's been lately in terms of how they've been portraying his politics or his character. But we do yeah, know
2: factually... I, yeah, I was going to say, the last thing I heard about, you know, Steve Rogers was that he was riding around on the back of Devil Dinosaur. Uh, you know... <laughs> yeah, are, are we about secret Wars
0: or pre-Secret Wars?
2: Yeah, uh, I think that's Post. Oh my yeah, I
0: mean, It's Secret Wars, but like, so pre... They aged him, and then he'd kind of just turned into this like crotchety old guy who was like running teams and seemed pissed that he couldn't be in the field. Um, I mean, and,
2: isn't isn't that basically them merging the original Nick Fury with Steve Rogers? I mean, he's even yeah. wearing a shield uniform now. Yeah.
0: Um, no, uh, Rogers well, no, that's still has. Well,
2: no, I'm saying right at the right at the end of this comment.
0: Is, hold on, let me let me look. I thought it was his traditional like blue whatever, which you could guess he could call a shield uniform, but I don't know if I'd call it his. I see, I don't call that necessarily a shield uniform. It's actually I think it's kind of a cool cap uniform with shield. I'm just vibe. saying that, I'm, that's
2: how it appeared to me. I was yeah, like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. Since since yeah, when I does does Steve Rogers put on, uh, you know, the shield outfit?
0: That's um, what he's been wearing for a while. That's been a a while outfit. Yeah. Um, um, since he got old.
2: Yeah, so the the other thing that I kind of wanted to talk about in this comic, because, you know, um, I, th- I think this is part of what, you know, pissed off Fox News, and it's, a I think, a case of being hoist with their own petard, is the Sons of the Serpent.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh,
2: yeah. Which, you know, was created as an explicitly racist group, a specifically anti-immigrant group way back in 1966, uh, introduced in uh avengers thirty three uh, by stanley uh, excuse me thirty two by Stanley and don heck uh, and there 's some some great verbiage here. I just want to share some
0: you know original
2: Stanley lines with you mm-hmm. as the original serpent drove Adam and Eve from Eden. so shall we drive all foreigners from this land once we rid this nation of those of different creeds, different heritages, then we shall rule from shore to shore, and it 's this like weird mix of, like, you know, classic Americana and, like, snake symbolism.
1: It's such perfect, wonderful po- purple pose of, like, I just... Right. Period. And, yes, like, thank you for returning to the text, which gives us once more the proof that we have of the history of the character that right. anything that has been, you know, different is, is maybe... Maybe Cap hasn't been adequately political lately. But that yeah. he was designed for this and Sons of the Serpent and their particular brand of xenophobia, you know, goes back to the goes back to the founding of the country and it's literally always been proven to be wrong. And well,
2: although and, and this is the sort of the funny thing about the Sons of the Serpent, mm-hmm. they were originally in, in their guise unmasked as secretly a commie organization created <laughs> by the evil general Chan Because and this is another quote A fearful nation is a divided nation, and a divided nation is a weak nation, ripe for conquest. And there's something very Cold War liberal about that. The idea that, you know, deep down, you know, racism, segregation, Jim Crow, is not somehow intrinsic to American history and culture. It's a plot. It's an outside force. It's not the real America. It's sort of, uh, you know, as it were, the KKK is KGB.
1: Yeah, I, it's it, it's like, it's such an, it's so of its period. I think, like, it's the kind of thing that a modern conservative would, like, not be able to conceive of, how this was, like, part of the history of, I mean, people, regardless of their political orientation, might not really know about that aspect of how things were framed in the time. I I, I, I That's just so amazing. Um,
2: but the interesting, I, I thought the contrast to to, to Sam Wilson uh, number one was really interesting because you know the visual design of the Sons of the Serpent back in '66 reminds it like it's very Kirby esque, even though it's 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 not Kirby who's who's doing it. You know they've got these big hand uh, helmets, they're you know snake themed paramilitary. They've got secret bases and you know big military tech. And these guys are way more low-rent. You know, they've got a minivan, they've got shotguns, they're wearing, you know, wife beaters and blue jeans. And they, you know, the visual iconography, they're wearing these hoods. Mm-hmm. They look like mm-hmm. modern hate groups. Yeah. They look like, you know, your your local crap chapter of the, of the KKK.
0: So the last type that we saw Sons of Serpent was in Daredevil, um, not, yeah, it would have been this last volume with Mark Wade writing, and the, if I remember right, the story was they, um, they framed a black guy for murder, if I remember right, and it wound up being, like, cops were actors of the serpent and the judge was and, like, all these mm. uh, people behind it, and it really come at, came out to be, like, kind of like the new version of the KKK in New York City, and it was why Daredevil wound up getting, like, disbarred because he had to prove himself as Daredevil to stop it all, but whatever. Um, huh. So, like, oh, they wow. recently have been shown to be basically, like, a hate white power hate group in comics. So it, like, This isn't even a thing you have to go that far back. It was uh, a year and a half, two years ago, maybe, at most. Um, so it's been a pretty, pretty recent thing.
2: Mm-hmm. And you know I think what what kind of if there is any any spark to this uh uh manufacturercy it's the fact that all they had to do to make the sons of the serpent as you know uh, a a terrorist group that's murdering you know undocumented people at the border which is you know by the way something that's happening um, is to, you know, put lines that are straight from Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. taking yeah. them straight out of his speeches. They don't really have to do much to them to turn them into, you know, the the kind of, uh, you know, villain dialogue from comic books.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really... I often have that feeling watching art, though. Like, how is it that people are able to consume pop- this popular culture and not see the connection between the effed up stuff that they do or say in the real world and how powerfully it's expressed on the screen? And you know, frequently the cases that people uh, don't consume art that is outside of the existing worldview they may have. But um, yeah, this is this is a very you know effective condemnation, I think of that sort of approach. I mean, and the art is drawn really compassionately towards the undocumented people. Um, I think also just the general framing of the kind of attitude, which these guys have is so easy to belittle. Like you sort of wavers, they, they waver between being terrifying and embarrassing
2: mm. in a
1: kind of small man way. That's extremely dangerous.
2: Yeah, no. That, I, I think that's a really good point because you know if you look at you know that's that's always been the sort of you know of the sort of history or or you know sociology of, of racism, right?
0: Mm-hmm. There was
2: always that sort of um, class separation, or at least supposed class separation between, say, the Klan and the CCC, or mm-hmm. you know it's 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 the the country club racists who tell the you know the middling and and working class racists you know whose houses get across in their in their yard that's all that's you know historians of this stuff and and scholars of this stuff have you know somewhat complicated that there were a lot of you know people with uh you know good amount of political and and economic power on a local level who you know joined the more out there groups and were part of their leadership so i think that sort of hands-offness I think it's a little bit closer to sort of having a a quote unquote sort of legitimate front group and a a hardcore interior than anything else.
1: Yeah. I mean like tomorrow, like literally tomorrow, there's an expose that's going to be coming out around some of the people who are funding uh, hate groups, anti-immigrant hate groups in America. Like this is a thing that we're working on at my job. It's going to be released tomorrow. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a rally.
2: I Um, So
1: you see you're fresh off the press. Um, But definitely. Oh, oh, and just just. But one of the one of the things that I really wanted to highlight is rather than it having be the usual like guys with pickup trucks thing, they actually say that he has. What did he say? That he has an SUV or a van or something like that.
2: Yeah, he's got an SUV.
1: I liked that touch because I get tired of it being portrayed like the only people who are bigots are like yokels, when in reality, like this is not something which you can exclusively say is the purview of any particular class in society.
0: Well, no. There was just that article today about um, the the like really high up restaurant owners who disowned yes. their daughter because she made a black guy.
2: Yeah. And
0: like these are really well known people. They just opened up a, a restaurant in D.C. Um, and I didn't know about it until it hit the Washington Post today. But like, no, this it's like up and down the the strata of of wealth and power. Now I'm trying to find the article so I can mm-hmm. shame them directly on the air.
1: But yeah, it's like you know that the, some of the largest clan stuff happening in America is in Long Island, and like people don't
0: Connecticut too.
1: Well, oh in Connecticut, yeah, too, yeah. yeah, and uh, you know Indiana and in Indiana,
2: yes, yeah, and that just was where disturbing. They had their you know arguably the the greatest level of political infiltration in, in American oh, yeah, history. I
0: forgot about that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I forgot about the history until you forgot about it. Until you just mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one,
2: I, one show that I think did a really, really good job on that was uh, boardwalk empire. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of portrayed, you know, the, the, the clan of the twenties as a group that, you know, ironically portrayed itself both as a force of kind of traditional America, but also this kind of new, you know, small P progressive America. That, you know, right. they, they they had a rate, you know, they had radio stations and, you know, they were, you know, parroting the lo- uh, the latest sort of eugenics, you know, and mm-hmm. this was sort of This was how America was going to improve itself as a as a you know a nation was to you know racially purify itself blah blah blah.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah, they were very media savvy, and it took a lot of media savvy responses to sort of tamp down Mm -hmm. on some of that. Like I know Brett has spoken about you know the the, um, having Superman infiltrate the KKK in that story. I, I do want to make sure for folks who aren't as familiar with Stephen's article um, that if you want to just sort of give a quick little rundown of the the New York that um, Steve Rogers is oh, sure. clearly situated in upon his creation.
2: Sure. So um, I wrote this article uh, back in the day to sort of refute certain arguments that were floating around about the fact that people thought that Captain America being from the 1930s meant he had to be uh, you know, a racist and a homophobe and, in general, just politically conservative. Um, and what I basically sort of looked at was, you know, what we know of this character's biography. And Granted, some things have changed, but, you know, the the roots are basically there in the fact that, you know, Steve Rogers was an Irish Catholic who grew up in, in New York City uh, in the 1930s. And you don't, you know, you couldn't really do that and not be you know, powerfully influenced by the New Deal. It was just way too ubiquitous a part of the political culture. You then, you know, uh they they talked about, you know, that you know, you could go into any house in in sort of immigrant neighborhoods in working class New York and find a picture of F D R and a picture of the Pope hanging on the wall next to each other. You know, he was that kind of Unifying and connection figure between the individual and the, their sense of America. Uh, at the same time, we also know that Steve Rogers was a um, a fine art student. Now, New York City in the 1930s was part of an explosion of art and culture that is uh, historians refer to as the uh, the cultural front. Uh, referring to the the political popular front uh, on on the left at the time. Um, And, you know, this was a world in which uh, the WPA, for example, was putting on these very political uh, sort of newsreel plays um, that Congress desperately wanted to shut down because, uh, you know, they criticized Mussolini, uh, they criticized uh, Jim Crow, you know, there were plays being put on, you know, Orson Welles was directing explicitly anti-fascist stagings of Julius Caesar. He was putting on all-black um, casts of Macbeth. You know, uh, if you've ever seen the the movie uh, The Cradle Will Rock, I think that gives a great sense of the mm-hmm. sort of fervid atmosphere of the time that, you know, everyone... Uh, in, in the artistic community was reacting to the politics of their time. And at the same time, the the political culture, you know, um, felt that it had to have a, an artistic line. So, you know, the New Deal and, you know, therefore sort of, you know, progressive Democrats, right, they had their WPA art, arts culture, which was, you know, in many ways sort of left-wing politically, but also very much sort of trying to to find a progressive America, uh, a progressive American history and a progressive American culture that it could tap into. Um, You had, uh, you know, the, the sort of the Communist Party and the Socialist Party, which at the time believed that you had to have not just a political line on every given issue so that people knew what they should believe, but also an artistic line. So this is the era of Soviet realism, and you know you can draw a really straight line from the idealized male figures of of Soviet realism, you know these huge bare chested sorry bare chested, you know muscular male bodies and the imagery of American superheroes that came about in New York City in the 1930s. So. In a very real way, mm-hmm. there is a kind of a cultural connection between the superhero genre itself and yeah. the the politics and arts of the of the nineteen thirties and it's not an accident and you know if if I can get uh anyone to remember one thing from this podcast, mm-hmm. it is not an accident that you know Jack Kirby <laughs> threw you know basically an Aryan you know ubermensch. And had him be, you know, a scrawny immigrant, urban, you know, left winger and then sent him off to go sock Hitler in the jaw. That was a political statement.
1: Absolutely. I mean and again, like it's I mean we've been said a lot, especially like look who was making your comics, it was working class, at best, quite possibly poor as hell, Jewish immigrant kids in New York. Like what politics, Pray Tell, did you think our forefathers had? You know, um and most people were busy like not employing us because we were allegedly communists. Like, come on. So you Oh, know, and I, mean, I did
2: want to make yeah. one plug uh one plug here for not my own work, but uh the work that uh, someone else put together, um, which uh, you know, based inspired by my essay, which, you know, really kind of thrills the hell out of me, which mm-hmm. is historically accurate Steve. tumblr.com which is about you know unearthing the the cultural history of uh, New York in uh, in the 1930s and 40s and they pulled out some amazing stuff like for example the apartment that uh, that uh, Bucky and Captain America shared as of the Winter Soldier uh, was in a gay neighborhood in Brooklyn Hmm.
1: what neighborhood was it?
2: I uh I need to go on Was to the and go all all the way back. I'm not sure. Um
1: Damn it I need to know yeah, right now. Look it up
2: yourself on, on historicallyaccurate steve Historically
1: accurate Steve. Yep. Steve Rogers. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I am me to uh that and then I'll I'll get it up on uh Twitter because that sounds awesome.
1: It is Um, Yeah. I mean, so this is like, you know, the cap that we have now to Sam Wilson, you know, what's really radical about having this new cap is that he's black and that like, you know, there have been awesome and high profile black superheroes before. Marvel has been great about that. And going back even to the silver age of comics, like Kirby invented these things. But there hasn't been one who's been really like the flagship hero of a universe before like this, who's been like, you know, dressed in patriotic clothing. Um Yeah.
2: And I was I was gonna say, like, the, the one time where, you know, Captain America has been black before was in the uh, you know, really amazing uh limited series called uh Truth, uh Red, White and Black.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh mm-hmm.
2: written by Robert Morales and, and drawn by Cal Baker, which uh basically sort of fused the, the super soldier experiments with the Tuskegee experiments and gave us uh, Isaiah Bradley as sort of the first black Captain America, which, you know, that got a lot of fans' backs up because it was that whole thing about, you know, oh, no, you're turning, you know, our hero into something else. The, you know, same old Gamergate shit. Um, yeah. And what was great about it is that the in the last issue, when, when the truth about this is revealed, Captain America's first instinct is to beat the shit out of the, uh, I forget whether it was... Like the the military fixer guy, whose job it was to basically cover this hole up. Um, mm-hmm. That's Steve Rogers' response, and you know he's down with having a Black Panther in America. Yeah, you know, and and the son of Isaiah Bradley has become uh, the um.
0: Patriot is it?
2: The, yeah, yeah he's the Young Avengers version of uh of Captain America. So it it's there but it's recent.
0: Yeah. Well the yeah. interesting on that too was wasn't that not canon and then they actually made it canon after a while. Like so yes, many it people I think were in it was interested too good it.
2: not to be canon. Yeah, yeah that, that was, was my like, understanding. Was, and then he had yeah, the young Avengers, people
0: that were yeah. like we really, really want this. This was really good. Why is this not canon? And then they're like, alright it's canon.
1: I love when that happens. It always should work in the way of having, having more and greater diversity. But yeah, people actually are thinking Isaiah Bradley might might come back as the new Falcon.
2: Mm.
1: There isn't like a Young Avengers title right now. Like, that's really something I, like that. I, um, Isaiah
0: Bradley or is this his, his nephew or grandson his or whatever? Son.
1: His grandson, his grandson.
0: Sorry. Yeah. Interesting theory. It would make sense. I figure at some point Cap will come back and be Cap, but... Um, who knows when that would happen and what would happen to Falcon
1: well clearly he'd have to start up um, Captain America Incorporated to allow for such multiple versions of him to
2: be oh that would be awesome I would love Captain America (laughs) Incorporated
1: I don't know how I feel about the incorporated oh actually I want to make sure we spoke about the incorporated thing about um, one of the observations I've had is that it seems like a lot of the African American superhero characters find themselves in situations where they have to sort of crowdfund um, their are yeah. superheroing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Heroes for Hire wasn't was framed as being like, oh, we're heroes and you got to hire us to work for you. But they are clearly only working for members of like the community who really need help. They're not getting hired. I mean, okay, yeah. I haven't read every single issue issue of Heroes for Hire, but it doesn't look like they're getting hired by like well, private. I, I seem to recall that uh, to,
2: uh, that Luke know? Cage beat the shit out of Doctor Doom once when he didn't pay up.
1: Ooh. Okay, so maybe that is not quite what I was thinking, but I guess my, no, my identity, I they're, they're not they're not Blackwater, you know and I mean? These aren't here for yeah. hire that like work for Blackwater and like kill people. No, in but Afghanistan. This is,
2: this is this is film noir.
1: Right? Yeah, they're
2: the they're the neighborhood yeah. gumshoe who you know people who are down on their luck turn to mm-hmm. when were, you know everybody's
0: is what it came down to. There were, there
2: yeah. But yeah. but
1: but my but my main thing here though is that these are people who are backed by the UN or by the federal government. And Captain America, Sam Wilson, had the option of being backed by the right. government. And I don't know, like, you know, the thing is, we really, like, Nick Spencer is doing a really good job, but he's a white guy. And I don't really know, like, are people thinking about, like, well, what are the implications, what would the implications be of, like, Captain America being, of Sam Wilson as Captain America being a part of state-sanctioned violence? Or, like, because that's a thought, something which, you know, black superhero characters have been given authority to be or do.
2: Uh, The other thing that I thought was interesting, you know, was that, you know, in addition to to being crowdfunded, that Sam Wilson has a relationship with uh, the black church in New York. Uh,
0: Yeah, that's what I was about to bring up.
2: Yeah, that was a piece of of world building that absolutely made sense to me because, you know, in our world, right, the black church is absolutely integral to uh, black politics, especially in New York City. And if superheroes were real, if they were a part of, you know, uh, American life, then, you know, absolutely the black church would be, uh, you know, supporting black superheroes. Yeah, totally.
0: Was Was that character around before? Like, I don't know Sam Wilson's history enough to know if that was, like, that character he was talking to was someone that was introduced a while ago. Or if it's, like, a recent, co- you know, creation.
2: What was the, the, the reverend's name again? It's uh, his brother,
0: right? Uh, it's his brother. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I assume that it was actually his brother and not, like, a brother-brother in air quotes. Um, yeah, it's his actual family member. Yeah. Because he does say little brother at some point um, to um, Sam. So I'm assuming it's uh, Gideon.
2: Okay. Gideon... Yes, right.
0: Wilson, I guess. Wilson,
2: I'm, I'm, I would. Okay.
0: Would guess that's his last
2: uh, name. Oh, Yep. Yeah, here we are. Um. Yeah, Gideon Wilson. Oh, he was a farmer uh, superhero. Oh, that's so, right. He, he
1: the text, he says he used to be, and his cyber Yeah, I mean American
0: there was a, there was a reference to that, to that or at least a,
1: yeah, he was part uh, of the Gamma thing. Corps. The Gamma Corps. So maybe he has, like, a Hulk-related situation. He does.
2: In fact, He uh, the Hulk broke his hands. Aw. Damn it, Hulk. Why do you have to do that? Uh, well, they were having a fight at the time in which he was trying to get uh, Gideon to recognize that his son uh, died of AIDS and not of Hulk. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Hashtag Marvel problems.
0: Well, that... Yeah. It sounds like one of those things that just... Is probably so hor is probably as horrific as we actually are imagining it is right
2: now. <laughs> yeah, and that was back in oh,
0: two thousand seven. Oh, wait, two
2: thousand? No,
1: I'm sorry, that had nineties written all over it.
2: Yeah, that was I 2000? was not that. No to the marvel shit. Universe Wiki, which is you know curated by at marvel dot com. Yep. Uh, first appearance: World War Hulk, Gamma Core number one, two
0: thousand seven. Damn, oh, so he's wow. a relatively new creation at least.
1: Okay. I'm sorry, it's just so terrible. I can't, like...
2: Okay, thank you. Yeah, but, you know, I also thought it was interesting, you know, part of it is the whole kind of working-class superhero thing that Marvel is doing a lot of recently. I mean, you know, I'm thinking especially of, like, Ant-Man trying to run his home security business. Um, You know, but also, I kind of like the way that, you know, the fact that, uh, Sam Wilson had to fly commercial rather than being in a Quinjet uh meant yeah. that the first time you see him in the in the show, uh sorry in the comic he's literally trying to get his shield right Captain America's shield mm-hmm. through TSA his security mm-hmm. and i was thinking it's like wow there's there's something really in there about the way that like you know patriotism in america changed after 9/11 and you know it, it's in this sort of moment of, like, he's talking about how, you know, he loves his country, but sometimes, it, you know, it's difficult to, and then it, it's sort of framing that whole kind of idea of, you know, my country right or wrong when right defended, when wrong corrected, in this, like, moment in which, you know, the, the security state has become such a sort of ubiquitous, you know, banal part of our lives, that, you know, you have to take your shoes off when you get through, um
1: Security, yeah. Security
2: at the airport.
1: Such bullshit security theater.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. I
1: actually don't think that Sam Wilson would have been able to get his shield through TSA. That just didn't seem. I don't think so. Believable to me. Well, there's a great line where he says it's not
2: technically a
1: weapon. A weapon, I know. But I was not allowed. I'm not okay. Like, look, I'm not an American hero. But back when I used, I was not allowed to bring knitting needles into the Capitol.
0: Yeah. You couldn't bring. I brought my dad.
1: My dad is like, what do you think you're going to do, hijack the Capitol building? I'm like, yeah, take this building to Cuba. Like, if you can't bring knitting needles into the Capitol building, I don't know if you can bring a gigantic throwing shield onto an airplane.
2: I I think that's the whole thing about, like, it's going back to the central thing about Captain America is that he carries defense, not a weapon. That his mission, you know, yes, Captain America throws his mighty shield, but his instinct... From day one is to protect other people and not to lash out
0: so we we brought some, you guys mentioned something a little bit about theater um am i i will argue the whole fox and friends faux foe and friends foe nerds mm-hmm. um is theater unto itself because it was. Uh, like, a couple days before, or might have been a couple days after, I don't remember, it was, so, controversy happened post-New York Comic Con, I think, or is it pre-New York Comic Con? I think it was post-New York Comic Con. It was post-New York Comic
2: Con, yeah.
0: Where they were, like, praising the nine-and-a-half-foot Hulkbuster on their show and had it on for display with no issues, you know, about it all. Like, it was a, we are doing this to get ratings. Clearly they don't know shit about shit when it comes to comics, yet they were willing to have this cosplayer on i would go the whole thing is like they don't they, you know they don't know shit about what mm-hmm. they're talking about and are just stoking things up because they think it's going to be ratings for them and yep. in the end they don't they don't care about it it's about as much entertainment and and has about much depth as any other uh um reality television out there right now
1: yeah, it's definitely something that they did to be able to throw a stink. And yet I think it's backfired because I certainly see the comic has gotten much more positive attention as a result of them flipping out.
0: Yeah, watching the, the sales for the second issue will be fascinating what the, the resale and uh, reorders are. Totally.
1: I think this is probably good for the book. I mean, it's why I picked it up. Mm-hmm. I had it on the list of like things I might read but wasn't sure. And then when I found out about the controversy, I knew I had to pick it up.
0: Yeah, I I wonder if Marvel sat there and was like, hey, we're throwing this out there. We know it's going to uh, um, kick up some shit and and get us some sales. Like, absolutely go for it. Like, Marvel is not stupid in that department.
1: It's interesting, though, because I just don't want the comic to make to play out as if this is something that's just like a huge contrast from the history of Captain America, and I'm worried about how that might happen because I feel like, you know, the whole thing with like legacy heroes is I think it's really great and important to have new modern versions of these, char- these characters as well as new ones, you know, like Marvel really never had that sort of legacy thing the way DC did. I think the, that this happening here raises a lot of those questions, but I don't think, and I want Captain America to be black, but I don't think it's okay for us to lose Steve Rogers cap because I don't want America to forget that like we had this huge period of ex- you know in American history of progressivism as this huge like cultural force, and that this is something that was in our that is patriotic and is in our heritage as well, you know mm-hmm. like i don't want I don't want the history of this character to be changed such that he suddenly becomes this old white dude who was never you know who 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 wasn't political and was like the way the Republicans seem to want him to be. I don't want that to have been the case, yeah. And I think the thing—the reality is, in, okay, like in the, Kirby Falcon, in the Kirby comics in the 70s of Captain America and Falcon, you know, Falcon is continually explaining to Captain America, like, what's fucked up that black people are experiencing right then. So it's not like it's treating Captain America like Captain America is this, like, super expert on black experience and black oppression. It's that Captain America chooses to spend his time with an African-American superhero and listens to what the other guy says and responds to him. And that was what right. it was. Like Captain America, it's not saying like, oh, he's just like perfect white guy who gets it all right all the time. It's like Captain America like knows what he doesn't know and is listening to a black person about it. Um, so we're not saying like, oh, you have to go make Cap be perfect, because obviously anybody who any of none of us are are perfect about these things. And, you know, certainly somebody who's been in the position of like, you know, like white privilege for a long time, even though things were different before he got his superpowers and was constructed differently when he was frozen. Like it's. He, the point is that Cap has always wanted to be fighting for justice and for the little guys. Right.
2: And and you know as much as he is a representative of uh, the past and of our connection to the past, he was also someone who at his time was on the avant-garde, was was looking to the future. Yes. Um, and sort of was was helping to make it. And I think that's you know I think that's kind of what the whole idea of, you know, historically accurate Steve Rogers it is all about, is sort of saying, in every era, in every period in our history, there are people making the future, there are people pushing at the the, the limits of of, you know, of politics, of culture, of society, and trying to make it progressive and modern. And the idea that we've all of a sudden discovered, you know, t- to take one example, gay rights, right? You know, there were there were people arguing for gay rights back in the 1920s, yeah, in the 19 teens. You can go back and find them. They were, you know, sadly, you know, the the phrase is always ahead of their time, you know. But what that really means is they were in the minority. They were fighting. What at the time was a losing battle, but that there was always a battle being fought, and that ultimately we don't get from there to here without those people in every era of fighting.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Do you guys think I might? I'm wrong though. Like I'm worried about that. About whether or not that's going to be put put as you know, put up in a, as a conflict within the story between the caps.
2: Well. Uh, If Marvel is listening, I have an unsolicited script for Captain America Year Zero about (laughs) (laughs) the life of Steve Rogers before he puts on the cowl and how the 1930s was this era of kind of imagery of heroism, different images of, of heroism. Wow. So maybe that's one way to do it.
1: Oh, my God. I didn't know you did that. That's amazing. That explains why you know everything about Captain America.
2: Yeah, the the idea is basically to sort of like have, you know, because he's in New York City at the time, right, and part of this whole culture, have him seeing Diego Rivera's murals, have him, you know, meet Charles Lindbergh and that whole idea, you know, have him see the the whole, you know, news reels of, you know, the the glorification of the Nazi ubermensch. You know, mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, his day job at the time, right? He's a he's a fine arts student, but his day job is he's a comics illustrator. Yes. You know, literally comics, uh, you know, the superhero comic is being born, you know, under his pen as he's working as a, you know, as a hack illustrator just trying to make an, you know, ends meet. So all of these, you know, images of heroism are all around him and here's this, this scrawny little kid who doesn't look anything like those heroes trying to to find a way to make his you know, idealism work in the world.
1: Yeah. That's perfect. That's perfect. That's, I ah, okay. Yeah. I really, I really need to check that. I, I just, I think a lot of times, like, just because like, on the one, you know, you don't want to people, I don't want to talk about the good old days because those things excluded so many people and it excluded me quite frankly. But the idea that like, anything socially progressive as a new invention is doing a disservice to history and to our understanding of how, of how change is made. I think Mm -hmm. it's almost better to recognize that like, actually people were always saying the right things, but nobody was listening to them back then.
2: Mm -hmm. So,
0: Speaking So one thing that uh, we've kind of touched on a little bit about how um, a lot of the language almost kind of apes and you, you can basically hear it in a, a Trump rally right now is the time frame of when the series was announced and how long it takes to put together these comics. You know, Trump entered the race in July of this year, June or July of this year. Um, so really didn't kind of get in the whole uh, racist bandwagon for at least a couple of weeks. And, you know, comics tend to be solicited three months ahead of time. I'm sure this was being worked on a while. I I find it kind of fascinating that the comic came out with the themes and what was said and even some of the language used just perfectly mirroring um, some of the shit that's being spewed today. And there's a hell of a lot of lead time uh, to create these comics. I mean, it's just uh, another example of comics being... I don't want to say ahead of its time, but like really reflecting the world, or just entertainment, really doing a great job reflecting mm-hmm. the actual world we live in.
1: I I, I think that um, it's partially just that the conservatives are that predictable,
2: <laughs> and mm-hmm. that is
1: Like I I do like it. You know, it's true this is so specifically Trumpish, but there are if it, it, there have always been, you know conservative uh hate mongers against immigrants that like have been saying oh, yeah. along those lines so i think you could it didn't necessarily presage it like it's just like a safe assumption that that's what they would say
2: yeah True. i mean you know a lot of the the rhetoric in there i mean the the deliberately uh contradictory line about you know immigrants are coming here to take our jobs and then get on welfare you know <laughs> that that's been going around you know 20, 30, 40 years, you take your pick. Um, you know, I think some of it is probably just fortuitous that like the whole uh, stuff with uh, disease. I mean, that goes back to when did that whole Ebola scare start? A year ago? Um,
0: yeah. See.
1: Yeah, because it was a Halloween costume. So about a year ago. Yeah, it was
0: 2014. Um, about October, November of 2014. Uh Yeah.
2: So, you know, there I, I would not be surprised if that was in the news while they were kind of or, you know, in the back of their heads when they were sort of dreaming up like, okay, what would this, you know, down heels version of the uh you know, of the serpent society what would their their lingo be? What would their justification be?
1: Yeah, totally.
0: I think what else to discuss, because there's just a hell of a lot we could dive in. I mean, there's just yeah. so much to actually discuss in the issue. It's almost like too much to talk about. Um,
1: oh, um, let's just talk a little bit about the completely not political Misty Knight, <laughs> um, Sam Wilson. <laughs> Harry, oh, yeah. We, we were gossiping about that immediately prior to the show going live. Um, So this is a character I definitely like, and I really love seeing her with Danny Rand. In Secret Wars, Secret Love, which was like the best freaking thing out of Secret Wars, hands on, in my opinion. So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of bummed that they're not a couple, but they they have a great chemistry here, no doubt. Um, And uh, I don't know. I like seeing her in a more high profile place regardless.
2: I I just, I
1: mean,
0: you know. Sorry, I go sorry. with the it's yeah, I was gonna say I, I go with the it's way too soon of the it's been eight months since Secret Wars and we're to believe that she, there's kind of having this weird off again, on again relationship that seems to have been going on and I, I don't know. It's just the time frame is weird for me.
1: But like we well like who was she even dating before before like, you know, any she, of this happened? Like I don't she even was? think it
0: was any anybody in particular. No. There, I mean, there was, like... I mean, it's not like she was super high-profile lately, but there was references to her still, like, seeing Danny Rand up to some point, I think, before Secret Wars. It wasn't... Okay. There wasn't much wasn't focus like, on stuff. either of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not like either of them were, like, really high-profile, so it's been a while since either of them were really in mm. a series, but they they were pretty... Hasn't there, has hmm.
2: there also been... I mean, this is... Not my area of expertise, and, and maybe we need to to call Rachel and Miles. Um, but like, hasn't there always been some like gay subtext as well with her partner Colleen Wing? I
0: I've never well, read it that it sort way. It
1: Depends how you know. Roommates is an interesting thing. I, I'm mostly confused by like I don't know. I I'd like to I would like to go and revisit that with that in mind. I haven't read a great ton of their stuff of Daughters of the Dragon stuff.
2: Yeah, but I, I was also thinking like you know going back to the seventies,
1: like as in like it was Claremontian, as in like the writer put it there for us to find. Or Maybe I don't
2: know. It, it's been a while since I since I uh, yeah. I, I'm, sort of always perpetually in the in the middle of like a reread of the, the Claremont X Men. Yeah. But I me haven't too.
1: yet
2: gotten I haven't yet gotten back to the point where um uh Misty Knight and uh Colleen Wing and um She's oh perfect. what was her name? Uh what was her name? The um Kitty Pride dance instructor. Stevie. Yeah. They all knew each other. Yeah, because you know, in in Marvel comics in the nineteen seventies, if you were black and and associated with superheroes, you you all knew each other. Um, so they probably I had a support group yet.
1: for like dealing with white people. <laughs> oh, um, oh, absolutely. But yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting. I I have to relook at those comics. I mostly just remember fantastic outfits. Uh, I I of course would really be incredibly enthusiastic if you know suddenly Captain America's. Main romantic interest was like a high-profile bisexual superhero, crime fighter, black woman with one arm, and her other arm's a robot arm. That would kind of be Afro. perfect. And a sweet Afro. Thank you. I'm so glad they preserved yeah. her hair. It's so important. It's like hair that's actually important to the character in so many ways.
2: Yeah. My only
1: critique is this like window cutout thing that's like they got it from Huntress. Is just not necessary and weird because her whole outfit is sort of like trying to be tactical. And then it has a stomach cut out.
2: Yeah, I'm see. trying to figure out like what page was that? It's, uh, it's like pretty early in
1: the comics.
2: Yeah, yeah what the it's, hell is it's, that? The, the big double splash page.
1: I mean, it's um, the, I like the it. so much of the so much of the outfit makes sense. It's just this cutaway stomach panel on chest. Well, even not... the chest
2: part
0: doesn't make sense. She's more covered up to spar than she is to fight, which probably should be. The oh yeah, opposite. that's
2: Oof. that's really weird. Yeah, Yeah. everything is protected, but, like, her boobs and her her abs. Seems like a pretty
1: vital organ. Getting
2: shot in the stomach or the chest is... (laughs) Oh, God, that's so typical. Oh, well, one step forward, two steps back. Yeah. I did, by the way, I, I really liked how, I mean, costume aside, like, how Misty Knight kind of bring... You know, given that whole setup of like the fake shield telecarrier. You know, brings that nice kind of seventies um, you know, thriller exploitation vibe to it. She does, it's totally true. Her I mean, pattern is really
1: good between the two of them.
0: I mean one of my favorite things with her was the recent Heroes for Hire where they were just completely going with the the Warriors, uh her on the microphone. I mean I that's one of my favorite things what? of comics in the like what? Last decades or so, yeah. So like it would start off when she would go to hire uh, the heroes. It was Misty Night behind the mic, and she'd be like, "Okay, it's time to do whatever like heroes," and it was like straight hey, up the, the Warriors. It? Oh my
2: god!
1: Yeah, I, mean I love like, it. The Warriors is like my favorite movie, basically. I, I oh, saw yeah. the reuni- I went to the reunion in New York City.
0: I'm beyond jealous of that. Have
1: a, I have a T-shirt.
0: It beyond was- jealous.
1: Oh my god, it was amazing.
0: Um One of my favorite Yeah. Podcasts.
1: So, what comic was this in?
0: uh it was heroes for Hi- heroes for hire um let me find what year it came out um i'll let you know uh, yeah okay it's, thank it's you awesome. but that
1: just makes me so happy
2: that that's like
1: a thing which happens
2: um i also thought it was interesting that uh also on his team is B-Man yes i did not yeah. know this character did you guys
0: uh i just remember him being really craptacular
2: I, I remember that his costume confused me because it was looked way too much like Wolverine and like Daredevils.
1: It I think it's supposed yeah. to be. I feel like his costume is supposed to be like he is ripping off like Wolverine and Daredevil.
2: Yeah, I know. just that that confused me. Yeah,
1: I was like, it is it is in fact I But I don't know, I mean why do why is it I think is it like significant to have like the just, oh, here's my question. Okay, clearly Dumpy is his like doofy sidekick. The significance yeah. of his doofy sidekick being a white guy.
2: Um, I mean, at least the way I was reading it, like I was thinking, it's like, oh, is this the dum dum Duggan role?
1: I mean, he is a redhead, but he's also kind of like a, like a like a doofus with with a beard
2: and mustache, no less.
1: Yeah, no less. I mean, I thought it was Duggan for a second. Actually, I did think that's who it was at first. But I um, I don't know if it's sort of interesting, like, to have that be like his stupid white sidekick.
0: Well, so, my actual issue with it is the the thing I do remember standing out of the character was that he was mentally ill at one point. <clears throat> though I don't remember, yeah, like, what it was. That he was homeless and mentally yeah, ill. And they, they bring it up in the comments
2: That, you know, he was, you know, down on his luck and not doing well and that he sort of built himself up from that.
0: I, my, my issue is it, is it just wipes away the mental illness of being like, and he's better now. Like, it's, it, again, kind of taking away something that is... I don't want to say unique, but unique in comics, uh-huh. um, that was actually kind of dealing with it and could have been an amazing comic to actually deal with it or character to deal with it, and huh. they just kind of, like, wipe it away. I mean, like, oh, yep, he's he's fine, all right. He was homeless and mentally ill, and he's no longer either. I was just like, really?
2: I, I, I didn't know that that's what they were going for. I read it more as just, like, he's handling his illness better.
0: Fair enough. You know, yeah, cause, I think
2: well, he's can... a
1: survivor.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they do say guy is a survivor, so I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, it's to me it was I u- I don't want to say unique, but like an interesting thing of the character. Like probably the one interesting thing of the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, um, I'll be very uh, interested to, to read issue number two. I'm definitely going to, Out to this try it. to get a hold of it. Um, yeah, because I'm kind of curious, like to see. Where they're going? Is there is there more to this, or was this kind of one idea and, and done?
1: Yeah, it seems yeah. like they're setting it up to be a, to be to be a consistently political title. Like that seems like it's the framing of it, and I hope they maintain that because it's just not Captain America if it's not political. If Captain America is not explicitly political, then it's making a political statement that like it thinks that fandom is like too dumb to handle it. Or that it has no faith in the creators, you know, to to handle it right. So I think it's important. It needs to be political.
0: I I mean I, I they're obviously setting up a uh, at some point a collision between Shield and Avengers in the through the various books. So, I mean that's coming down the road. I mean the end of this, you know, obviously there's a right away thing with between him and and Steve you know, reading this and uh, Uncanny Avengers and New Avengers and God knows all the other Avengers comics that have relaunched, um, they all have that, like, underlining theme of the Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. are on the outs, uh, which, you know, uh, reflects the movies and that there will be some clash at some point between the two.
1: Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I'm not crazy about, I mean, I don't know. Like, let, let things get established before people have to have a showdown.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, one of the things that I think, I don't know, honestly is, is one of the things that I, I wrestle most with is like, to what extent um, you, you maintain the status quo and you let, the, the sort of themes and, and possibilities develop versus changing the status quo? Uh, well, that's what I not have
0: to get a, on a sidetrack. Valiant, I think, does a really good job of the latter of that, where they just let one thing flow into the next, constantly changing up the, the status quo, but doing it in a very natural way. I mean, I think to me it's something that's very different than Marvel, where I think Marvel, like, suddenly changes the status quo. It It's natural and it flows, but there's just something that's just very abrupt about it where it's like everything's changed, where um yeah. much more organic about it, very organic that's, about it. I
2: think that I think that you you put exactly um uh the the pin in it that I that I was sort of searching for, which is, you know, what I love is that Claremontian um sense of organic development, that you have a team, you let the internal dynamics work. If the internal dynamics say, you know, a character should quit the team right now because they're not feeling it, then you let that go. You see where that leads you. As opposed to this sort of, you know, every six months or every year, we're going to totally undo everything for the whole line, regardless of whether it works for each part of that line. Because, you know... One of the reasons why I've been really hesitant to sort of get into the whole battle world stuff is I don't think that works for a lot of Marvel's characters. You know, it works for some of them really well. Like, I can definitely see, you know, Thor and and characters like that really working rather well. But when it's characters who are meant to, like, be grounded in our, our world, like, it's hard for me to have at the same time in my head like, you know, there's a multiverse and doom is God with, you know, your your friendly neighborhood Spider Man, you know, trying to, to pay his rent and his student loans. Um uh, I yeah. guess you know what it kind of yeah. reminds me of is like towards the almost the very end of um and this is going to be a slightly strange comparison of uh uh Gotham Central right, Uh, uh, your ultimate grounded comic book, right? You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's Homicide Life on the Street in Gotham. Yeah. Um, And there's a couple issues in which the sky is raining blood. And it's like, well, you know, these two scenarios don't particularly work well together.
1: That sounds like a lot of
2: fun, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, but I think that works as like a one-off. I don't know it works as a new status quo. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it, I, Secret Wars was inter- is interesting because it's not done yet. Um, if you look at it instead of, like, this big world and just take it as a bunch of interesting uh, remixes of familiar characters and themes in trade paperbacks and just ignore the greater universe, I think it works a hell of a lot better that way.
2: Yeah, but you don't think that not- there's something inherently Marvel that gets lost there?
0: Oh no, it doesn't feel like Marvel at all. I think it actually harkens more towards amalgam than anything else, which isn't a compliment. Yeah. Um, it's oh, it's, man, it's a good idea me, that failed. It's me I such
2: nineties flashback. <laughs> well, that's well, well that's the what character are like, now um,
0: again, right? Like comics are back well, to the nineties. I mean, so we can go do a whole another show on that. But unfortunately, no, everyone no, no, seems they're to. Not. They're not
1: that. The comics are not back to the 90s because there
0: is better art oh. now. Than there
2: has been in a while.
0: Well, I'm not saying it's exactly like Okay, but like there's the 90s.
2: literally a comic book called X-Men 92. 92. That
0: is true. And, and is we're is focusing true. on variant comics and we're focusing on crazy events and um, you know, big huge pushes of like these massive launches.
2: Yeah. Of,
0: it's it it's like all the bad lessons of the nineties.
2: I mean, I guess I guess you know we shouldn't be surprised because look at what year it is, right? The the people who are the you know in their thirties now creating mm-hmm. comic books are people who were kids during the nineties and who got their their you know their feet wet in comic books in that era. You know, we're all we're all we all carry our history with us to, to continue an earlier theme. Um
1: yeah, good observation.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, at least Marvel won't go bankrupt this time.
2: Knock on what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> knock on wood. I'm, I'm paranoid. Um, well, they,
0: <laughs> they would really have to piss off Disney.
2: So, is now a good time for me to talk about the Kickstarter?
0: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Let's let's talk about that. Um so absolutely you've, okay. you've got this Kickstarter going on. Um tell us a little about it and um let me get the, the URL for it and tweet it up for folks while you're talking about it.
2: Okay. Uh so basically the idea is uh, I like to write about Game of Thrones, uh Song of Rising Fire, and especially the way in which politics and history sort of work within that series. And uh I would like to spend more of my time writing about it, but you know, you got to you got to pay the rent, you got to pay the bills. Um and so uh basically this is a, a venture to uh to sort of free up some time so I can just write about Game of Thrones. Um as part of that uh I have three different books uh, that I am essentially uh offering ahead of time for, for people who who want to support me. Uh one book is called uh King's Hands and Sissy States, Analyzing a World of Ice and Fire, which is sort of looks at the political institutions of Westeros. Uh the second book is um uh volume uh two of Race for the Iron Throne, which is basically a chapter by chapter exploration of Clash of Kings. Uh, and then the third book is uh, basically a uh, an actual physical uh, print of my first book, which is Race to the Iron Turn Volume 1, which does a chapter-by-chapter exploration of uh, Game of Thrones. Um, so there's a whole bunch of different reward levels, you know, anywhere from $10 on up. Uh, one of the things that I'm really looking forward to as part of this is uh, this Battle Blackwater Week, uh, where I'm going to be covering the entire battle uh, from beginning to end in one week with sort of basically an essay per day plus, um, along with uh, a special bonus podcast uh, where I sit down with uh, my friend Aziz from the History of Westeros podcast, and we talk about the sort of real-world historical parallels between the Battle of Blackwater uh, and some of the most famous sieges of that great city, Constantinople. Uh, And then also, uh, if if enough people sign up, and I hope they do, I'm looking to host a season two, episode nine rewatch party in New York City. Woohoo!
1: I I just want to go out and say, if somebody reads the Song of Ice and Fire books or watches Game of Thrones, then I I assure, and you participate in any popular culture around it, I assure you, you are familiar with Stephen's work because his theories and his writing and his analysis is that influential. So if this is a fandom that you are a part of, then you've already been exposed to his stuff and it's awesome. And um you know, the Kickstarter gives you the ebook, which basically just means you're you're buying the the book that you would be buying anyway. So we're just right. asking or you to buy it version. now so he can write it rather than just getting it afterwards, which would be hard.
2: Right. Or you can get you can get a physical copy uh which is going to have uh, original uh interior art that is amazing. Okay um you can get a signed copy uh if you want my Jan Han- uh John Hancock on it um mm-hmm. you can even do crazier things uh, i'm going to record some uh bonus audio essays that you can listen to and uh if you are really uh feeling generous or or really want this particular reward uh at a high enough level i will record uh basically a lecture on any topic Uh, Any historical or political topic that you want.
1: Damn.
2: So, you know, I'm offering the services of a uh, genuine bona fide PhD historian to uh, research and then, you know, hold forth on on whatever topic you're fascinated about uh, but can't find any answers on it.
1: Oh, that's so tempting. So yeah, just everybody go and get on the Kickstarter. It's this is a really cool opportunity, and yeah, if anybody is into Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire, like this is something you've got to get a piece into. So,
0: tweet it up, and you can find it at our uh, uh, Twitter account of Graphic Policy. I just put the URL up there for folks uh, to make it nice and easy, and of course, we'll have it on our website when this goes up on there.
2: Okay, thank you. Cool.
0: Um, we wrap it up or more we want to talk about before we I finish think, off? I think that's it. All right. Cover a lot of ground. Uh, Covered a hell of a lot of ground.
2: Let me see. Is uh, is there anything coming out soon besides uh, uh, Sam Wilson number two that you guys are particularly looking forward to? Well, I was just putting together my picks list of suggested comics to purchase in
1: this upcoming <laughs> week. <laughs> My number one pick actually is Black Magic, which is from Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott, which is a dream team. This is Hell a new yeah. book from them for Image. He's describing it as a witch noir. Um, you know, Greg Rucka is one of those few dudes who I totally trust writing women characters. Nicola Scott is just does gorgeous art. You probably remember her stuff from Secret Six, or you should, because that's the best stuff ever. Um, so, yeah, I'm super excited to read this book. <laughs> Plus, well, I
2: will got- read anything Rucka writes. Totally, oh, my I'm on board. Looks so
1: good, and the Batgirl 45 is coming out, aka the big queer wedding issue, and Dick yes. is going to show up. I can totally tell, and I'm really excited about that. Uh,
0: for me, it's Black Magic because uh, everything you said about Rucka, I've been intrigued by all the Vertigo new releases. They got a new one out this week called Art Ops which, uh, let me get the description, I can not even, it's basically, I'm just going to say it's, it's Vertigo, like Vertigo, tends to put out <laughs> really interesting stuff, so I will check out first issues of Vertigo, um, <clears throat> and then of course Prez number five is out this week, and we have an awesome guest blog that uh, hit our site today about Prez and why it's w- hitting way too close to home uh, as far as the series. Uh, but one I, you didn't bring up. I'm kind of a little shocked. You got Angela, Queen of Hell. Is I was going sure to bring
1: that up. I, I, I haven't finished <laughs> my list. But that is actually also my list. Angela, Queen of Hell, which definitely establishes like that Sarah is Angela, Queen of Hell's royal consort. This is like my favorite Marvel Comics couple right now. Um, and Stephanie Hans, who I re- really is just an outstanding artist, is doing covers and some of the story art within the book. Marguerite Bennett is writing it. It's going to be great.
2: And I'm just looking back, uh, looking forward to getting back into comic books because I've been uh, uh, off my feet for the last month uh, and haven't been able to get down to a, a comic book store or Barnes & Noble's or anything. Aw,
0: welcome back. Um, Thank yes. you. Definitely welcome back. Uh, well, it's good timing because Marvel just basically rebooted everything so you can start from scratch. Uh, there you go. <laughs> very convenient time. Uh, So, so Steve, uh, before we go, um, for people to get a hold of you and follow you and websites and all that stuff, um, you plugged the Kickstarter, sure. but how about plugging the rest for people to okay. connect with you? Okay, uh,
2: so you can find my writing at uh, racefortheironthrone.wordpress.com. Uh, if you're into the Tumblrs, uh, I also have uh, racefortheironthrone.tumblr.com. I answer a lot of uh, Q&A stuff there. So if you have, like, a burning question uh, about the world of ice and the fire that, like, you always wanted to know why something is this way or what would happen if, uh, you know, you can shoot me a, a question there. Um, or you can find me at Steve Matwell on Twitter. Nice. Uh,
0: well, as always, thank you for coming on the show and especially coming on in uh, short notice. Um, it My been. Uh, insightful you always give like a hell of a, uh, uh, basically just tour of knowledge um, every time you come on and we, we prove that Fox doesn't know shit when it comes to the geek stuff I always like showing them up not that mm-hmm. it's hard to do <laughs> <laughs> as always it's, a, it's an open invite for you to come back so we'd love to have you We have, love having you on right. the upper game a hell of a lot so, My thank pleasure. You, I would I'd
2: definitely love to uh, to come back when there is uh, uh, some topic that would be interesting. Maybe when uh, Jessica Jones comes out. Looking forward to that.
0: Yes, it's a top, top we've got secret. got top secret brewing on that. So the answer is yes to that. Yes, we'll be you up right on that one. <laughs> we'll, we'll hit be hitting you up on that one. Let's just say we're Jonesing for Jessica. Um, oh, God.
1: I can't. I can't. I mean, I can and I will, but I
2: can't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a good title. Uh, all right. Uh, so thanks uh, for coming on. Um, and Ilana, so for people to follow you, um, I'm going to remember to do this for once.
1: I, uh, yes, on Twitter, I continue to be, as you have recently retweeted, Ilana underscore Brooklyn. E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn, the greatest city on earth. And I'm on Tumblr, also at Elana Brooklyn without an underscore.
0: So, Excellent. Uh, we will be back next week with a whole new episode. Don't know what we'll be talking about, but we'll be talking about something interesting. Maybe it will be Captain America Sam Wilson number two, depending on the content in there. Uh, we'll definitely at least be talking about Iron Man. We wanted to talk about this episode, but we'll punt that one to next one. Uh, with mm-hmm. the new International Iron Man, because um, there's a whole bunch of stuff to discuss on that one. That could take up a while. Uh, but yeah. everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, you can catch us every single day at GraphicPolicy.com. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Keep it nice and consistent. Uh, for those who came in late to the show want to listen to it all, we'll be on iTunes you know, a little bit after this is all wrapped up. Uh, we'll be on SoundCloud tomorrow. We'll be on Stitcher automatically at some point after this wraps up. Um, I don't know when it all goes live, so you can catch those things. uh, And we'll post the SoundCloud uh, uh, recording to uh, our site, graphicpolicy.com, and you can download it and take it on the go, whichever way you like it, if you want to listen listen to it while you travel. But thanks for listening. As always, we'll catch you next week. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Keep it geeky. And I'm Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.